0: Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. This is your favorite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And I am sad to to announce that we are a depleted force today. Sam yesterday went to play football, got bashed in the face, and now can't open his mouth. So it's a two man jobby, but I'm delighted to introduce our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Welcome, mate. So it's a you and I show today.
1: Yeah, well, they're always the best ones, aren't they, mate? They're always the best one so um, we have been thrown into a bit of disarray though because he had the ranking like he yeah. was doing the ranking he's the ranked god so it's his actual job is to you know eight times out of ten be the guy that that leads this and we'd spoken yesterday and he had a ranking all planned out,
0: I presume. And well, then- yeah, we were going to talk about the best defensive midfielders in the world, which is yeah. like a, a, a topical one because everyone is after defensive midfielders, you know, the big clubs, Manchester United in particular, who've been after a six for so long. We were going to talk about, you know, the best ones in the world and who might be, you know, looking to enter that list in a little while, but that's been thrown out the window. It has.
1: So, so we are on the emergency ranks list. Um So yeah, my, my ranking today has been one I've had in my draft. It's going to be fun though. Trust me. Like, um, um we're in for a, we're in for a good chat today a good it's gonna be a very fun hour of entertainment mate we're going, a good to, time.
0: we're going to go all emotional on you we're going to talk about bit, things yeah. that we love most about there's this a game. reason we
1: started this podcast and i want to explore those feelings
0: absolutely well before we go on to that before you take up the mantle of rank god for mm. the day uh, we're going to talk about things we love uh, and you start us off with some transfer bits as is fitting of your well your pre-title yeah i just love at
1: the moment like how chaos this month is like um So this weekend, obviously Erling Haaland comes out in an interview which he clearly pre-planned and starts having to dig at his own team after he's just played for them, Um, gives an interview stating that he doesn't want to basically be pressured into making a decision over his future in terms of when he makes that decision, where he's going to go. Um, Dortmund obviously have been pressing and trying to set a deadline, like they always seem to do, by the way, um, for him to make that decision so that they can get on with their own decisions. And, you know, are they going to sign into a new contract? Are they going to have to look for someone new? And Holland just is not happy about that situation. So, yeah, he he gave an interview that was really no-holds-barred, a dig at them, basically, and saying, I'll do this on my own terms. But. Basically, reading between the lines, if you really want me to make a decision, okay, I'll do it. I'll go and find a new club. That's what I've taken from it. I don't think there's any chance, to be honest, he stays at Borussia Dortmund. From what I'm told, you know, it's Real Madrid and then everybody else. So let's see what he does. But I just, you know, it's actually becoming a bit of a trend recently. We're seeing people speak their mind and I'm loving it. I really am. Um, there was obviously Ronaldo the other day gave an interview that was pretty good, having a dig at United's younger players about, you know, when people tell you what to do, listen, actually listen. And we've seen various other examples uh, recently. Um Lukaku gave a great interview, didn't he, when he was held hostage. Um, There was that one. Mo Salah's given interesting interviews. Um, Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff. Um, But Haaland, yeah, I I liked it. I just like the fact that he's like, no, you do not tell me what to do. I'm Erling
0: Haaland. I'll tell you where I'm going next it was a funny one there's been a couple haven't there obviously Dusan Vlavic played for Fiorentina last night in a 6-0 win over Genoa he scored he also missed a penalty Um, yeah but you know
1: what I still think it was a great penenka the keeper
0: did do the keeper did well to stop that it wasn't so much that though but it was when he came out for the second half and then when he got substituted he spent a lot of time sort of putting his hands up apologising to the fans felt a a little bit much for a missed penalty considering they won 6-0 and he scored well Um, that's because he knows he's there for
1: the rest of the season now I just want to make sure that no one hates him
0: well if that. Is the line whether the, the line that was flying across Twitter is he saying goodbye? Um, well, Fiorentina,
1: but- you know, the story that's live now, and and I think it was DiMarzio that's put it out there, was that Fiorentina aren't going to sell him this month. And it was always going to be that, like, Fiorentina were willing to cash in this month. It was Vlavic who didn't actually want to leave yet, especially if it was to Arsenal. You know, he wants to go and be top goal scorer in Italy this season and, and leave after that and, you know, help Fiorentina have a good season. It's not like he hates Fiorentina, is it? I think he loves Fiorentina, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's just that he's in a situation whereby they're not going to be able to satisfy him long term.
0: Yeah, well I mean they're on the up at the very least but there's there's lots going on there's lots of nice little transfers Um, personally really liked Chiquinho to Wolves yesterday um, he's moved across from Estoril de Praia in the Primeira, who have been a massive success story this season promoted last year have been floating around the top four and very nearly gave Porto their first defeat of the season they were undone by two late goals um, last weekend obviously talked about um, Chico Contesal scoring and celebrating with his dad but Estoril uh, have been a real success story this season um, they've just sold Chiquinho, who broke through last year in the Segunda, made the step up really nicely to the Primera. He's got 10 goals and assists uh, in about 20 games this season, so one every two, which is not bad uh, for now moved to Wolves, could be the trigger for Adama Traore departing. Um, I think Chiquinho, we'll talk about him a bit more in depth um, on Friday's podcast. I'm going to spotlight him potentially. Um, but he is a player who reminds me a little bit, shades, I would say, of early Usman Dembele. Two-footed, loves dribbling really, really quick. Likes to get outside his marker, can play on both sides. Um, really, really interesting footballer. So I think yeah. Wolves have picked themselves up a really interesting little player here. I think an impact sub to begin with. Um, but very much someone I'm going to be keeping
1: an eye on. Okay, that's cool. Um, also, you know, I've loved the fact that Chelsea have spent the last two weeks trying to sign one of their own players, Emerson <laughs> Palmieri. They, they've just been trying to sign him back. He's on loan, and they need him back, and they can't get the compensation package together to get him. And just as they start to get somewhere, and Emerson's like, "I do actually want to go back there, players. Like this is actually quite a good opportunity for me." He's got COVID now, so he can't do anything for the next few days. So um, that that's that made me giggle a little bit. No, I wouldn't say I've got an anti-Chelsea agenda or anything like that, though. Well,
0: it was- was funny
1: it was just at the very
0: least (laughs) Chelsea's um sort of bizarre conversations about a left wing back given that Ben Chilwell is out despite obviously they don't want to do anything too long term because they know how good Ben Chilwell is but equally they're kind of stuffed for the rest of the season if they don't bring someone in to help them out um it's quite an amusing dichotomy because you can see them being like we could have signed Luca Dean but we don't really need him after this so season. So Gino Dest,
1: still, mate, still slightly possible. He doesn't really want to leave Barcelona, but they are still exploring that and it might be, you know, those, all these American listeners we got and be an exciting one, I think, to see Dest try himself in the Premier League if, if it was short term to see if he can force his way back into Barcelona next season. Yeah, Isn't that well, weird we might- to leave Barcelona to get a chance to play football at Chelsea, who are the European champions, rather than Barcelona, who like aren't even in the title race.
0: Yeah, bizarre. But such I is Chelsea life. aren't in the title race either. So. Such is the way of the world <laughs> these days. I oh, mean, there is no title race. No, there. there's no title as, race. As, we uh, as, as was announced on Monday's podcast, uh, <laughs> both the Premier League and Liga 1 have been f- formally declared in the bag. Um, so they, they, have, done, have, they have, yeah. If you on, weren't on Patreon, you missed a massive moment in ranks history. Yeah, two in-the-bag announcements at once. Um, quickly, I want to talk about a thing I love, which is Nigeria, at the African Cup. Here he of is, his Nigeria shirt. I've got my Nigeria shirt on. I'm delighted. It's my JJ Okocha special. Um, I love it. And look, I love them. I love watching them. We didn't include them in the discussions around Joe Cran's rankings for AFCON favorites, wild cards, because they kind of didn't fit in any of the categories. You know, they weren't top three favorites, I think, pre-tournament. Um, I, I don't think they were a wild card. Card because they are probably the fourth fifth favorites and they were just sort of stuck in that little category below but they have been Remarkable Nigeria. They have been such a wonderful side to watch, not only in that victory over Egypt, who did have as wild cards in the the first game, where they completely and utterly marked Mo Salah out of the game, but also tore Egypt apart in in kind of regular installments uh, at some points. And it felt like 1-0 didn't really do them justice. It should have been, could have been a couple more. They then went into the second game against Sudan. Uh, They scored after three minutes, Sami Chikweze from Villarreal gave them the lead lovely little finish uh, then they scored one of the weirdest goals I've ever seen um, to basically double that lead just before half time Taiyo um sort of having the ball headed onto his shoulder and then it drifting past the goalkeeper to, to kind of double that lead um, and then just after the break Moses Simon who has been absolutely world class on this left hand side he has been phenomenal tearing teams apart and just running through running through our will basically um, he, he adds the third they give away a penalty kind of late on and it's three ends 3 Nigeria play again tomorrow or today uh, in terms of when you are listening to this. So obviously they'll have their third group game, but I fancy them to go perfect. And I would now have Nigeria in the favourites for this tournament. Um, I think they've been absolutely sensational and they're probably the best balanced team uh, in AFCON. I think it feels like there's a real nice... Way about this side, that kind of midfield duo of Aribo and, and Ndidi offering not only that kind of defensive shield, Ndidi is just so good at patrolling that bottom. But Joe Aribo's feet are delightful. He seems to get himself out of trouble time and time again. Chikweze and Simon have been absolutely sensational on either wing. And then Kalechi and Nacho is kind of drifting off as like a 10, um, been given that free roll while Awani kind of stretches and plays as, as the big man. It just feels like all of these things are, are fitted nicely into place. And I'm really, really enjoying watching this side at work so there's my there's my love in for the week Nigeria yeah, it sounds like you from. need to
1: find yourself a little spot in London mate where all the Nigerians are gathering and, and join them it seems like you're a Nigeria fan now
0: I, I think I am I think I'm have I i think I'm sold uh, yeah. in terms of who I'm going to be that would be a lot of fun of I suggest them. you do that actually mate well, uh, we'll make it work right after the break we are going to be getting on to well it's basically an extended things we love this week isn't it it's just the reasons we love football and uh, we're going to be doing our ranking so don't go anywhere welcome back to ranks fc and it's time for a dean jones ranking very few things make me happier than the dean jones ranking because often they're about transfers but this is this is off the beaten track we're going road we're going well we're going emotional let's get into it
1: mate we all love football right so let's rank the best things about football the things that get us really going about this game and um i'm actually quite excited to do this because i know that you're going to get as emotional as i will about like what amps us up and There's five here, so I'm going to start at number five. And the thing I love at number five is cup finals. Cup finals, man, are just magic. And it doesn't matter if you're uh, playing in one for your school, playing for one for your amateur team, or whatever level you manage to get to. Um, Playing... Is, is amazing in a cup final and the preparation and the, the focus that goes in around it to be honest it doesn't even matter if you get to a, a cup final and championship manager or football manager these days like the fear I, like I used to do on. I did I legitimately did once I got to a cup final and championship manager and went down to the shop down the road and bought a pack of balloons and put them all around the room to pretend that the fans were here to create an atmosphere that's how did much I love that cup final we won it 1-0 yeah I think I wrote a match report on it afterwards as well um, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously go into a cup final now as a fan like there are a few things that are uh, you know more exciting and you know me and you support Fulham so it's not something we've had loads of experience of throughout our
0: lives but like we got in, to a playoff final that's pretty much the same isn't it we've got to a European final and we've got to
1: a playoff final and you know I never thought I'd see Fulham play at Wembley I, I genuinely didn't think I would and if it was ever going to happen it was obviously going to be a playoff so we needed to be relegated for the Premier League and we got to do it only once because the other time we got to the playoff final, we were locked out of the stadium, fortunately, which would have been another good day out. But um, the nerves that come with going to a cup final are unreal, aren't they? And like, I don't think you can really replicate that feeling of, of a cup final when you're emotionally involved in it like that, and especially as you've got no say in how it, how it f- unfolds. Like, At least when you're playing in a cup final, you're you're in it i don't once it's going it's going it's a game and you feeling like at least you've got some involvement in it and you can't get wrapped up in the emotion around it but mate i've got a photo of you haven't i um in the playoff final by complete coincidence i was just you know a couple of rows back from you like right behind you wasn't i um when fulham got to the playoff final against aston villa and how many seconds are on the clock I think about six. Six, six seconds, seconds on the clock. And I've just taken, a I thought, right, I'm not going to take for any pictures throughout the day, but I'm going to get one picture now of the game starting in my view at Wembley of this game and look back at it later. And Jack's head is in his hands, like he can't watch another second with six seconds into the game. Uh, but it does feel like that,
0: doesn't it? Like every pass, every minute feels like an hour at times. I think it got worse as well. Obviously, Fulham scored. I think the Fulham scoring and the celebrations were the one minute of the entire game that I enjoyed. <laughs> I enjoy any of it. And like, and then, it's and hard then, to enjoy a cup final. It is, unless you're 4-0 got sent off. Yeah. This is a good question. Fulham were 1-0 up and we had to play the last, I think it was about 20 minutes with 10 men and it was agonizing. Every second was agony. It really did feel like that. I remember the final whistle going and not feeling joy, just pure relief, yeah. like absolute relief on every front available. And it just like coursed through me. I, mean, I spent most of the next hour in tears, but it, it really was one of those moments that you just sort of exhale and just yeah. let yourself like go for the first time. It was like one of those where people are like, Oh, was your good day? I was like, don't think I drank that much. Don't think I you know, ate <laughs> that much because I just spent it. It was the same day, actually, that uh, Real Madrid played Liverpool in the Champions League final. Mm. And I remember going back to a pub in, in West London and, and thinking, oh, we'll watch the game. Didn't watch a second of it. Like, no. it just didn't feel like it was... You're in a, pause haze, that's it was a It was this kind of fog of just sheer relief and joy by that point had set in. Um, it was amazing. But- yeah. I'll
1: tell you what's hard as well when you come out of a cup final and you've won or any big game really like that is that there's other people just going about living their normal lives. And you're like... What are you do- How can you be shopping right now? We just want yeah, to Like you, you're in such a world of your own. You're so wrapped up in what's just happened that you can't believe that you're in Wembley and there's some bloke just
0: sitting in Costa having a latte. What's he yeah, doing? Like, <laughs> yeah, why are you not here? It's really, really interesting. I mean, here's an interesting one for you. When I was at school, me and my friend James decided we were going to go to the FA Trophy final mm. uh, between Darlington and Mansfield, and we decided we were going to support Darlington. Um, so yep. we went along to this game. We went along with all these lads from from the northeast. We piled into the pubs. I think it's just because they wore black and white. To be honest, we decided we were going to get involved with them. Um, and so we we went inside. We we watched this game, and it was again. I was, I didn't even support Darlings. Although we decided we were going to do this in sort of February March. I mean, when it when it all went through, and we then. Made our minds up. We we spent the next three weeks playing as Darlington on Football Manager on FIFA, you know, working our way into the squad, getting to know the players. Um And so it felt by that point we had <laughs> Darlington t-shirts. It was great, but you know, yeah. live life, live love Darlow. Um, we had a great time. And, Do you still um, look out
1: for their results.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Although yeah. the club sadly went, uh, the club sadly went bust. So yeah. it's, um, they're, they're, they're they're right down at the bottom now. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but. So it got to, Dalo missed a, a chance about 80th minute. Um, ball crossed across, strike. He just had to just slide it in. He decided to stop the ball um, and it got cleared for a corner. Went to extra time. In the 120th minute, Dalo scored. Um, <laughs> and it was absolute chaos in the stands. Like having the best time ever. Went out that night with all the Dalo fans. It was amazing. Like really, really good fun. Yeah. Um, and it's just like one of those where it's a cup final and it meant so much to so many people and it was nice to be able to just witness it and feel like you were involved not necessarily to the same extent obviously there are people there who have supported Dalo for 50 years and seen them win a a cup final means far more to them than it does to James or I but even that to be wrapped up in those celebrations and wrapped up in the moment of it was just absolutely incredible
1: yeah honestly any chance anybody has to go to a cup final whether it's at amateur level whether it's at lower league level you know if it's a Champions League final if it's you know I've been to Champions League finals I went to the final of the European Champions obviously in the summer um whatever level it is like there's the same the same thing is on the line here one of you is going to have the best day ever one of you is going to be so gutted and and not knowing which side of the fence you're falling on honestly is just gut-wrenching isn't it it's it's just a mad feeling that i don't think you can really get anywhere else in life but
0: no i think so let's move on to number four
1: shall we yeah four this one's reasonably short but the The thing I love about football at number four is is transfer windows. And that's not just because of my job. It's because it's absolutely mental. Um, Obviously, like we have a lot of American listeners and they'd have grown up in a world where players are traded, right? And there's not this same um, feeling around the window and deadline day is different. And here it's all about the amount of money you're buying a player for or the player that suddenly crops up at another club, you know, Messi joins PSG and the story just escalates and takes over the world and you know you can go through you know know, the biggest transfers and you think of when they were announced you know whether it was Neymar's PSG you know Pogba back to Man United Bale to Real Madrid Ronaldo to Real Madrid like these moments I remember Beckham when he joined LA Galaxy I remember Beckham joining Real Madrid and there's just moments there's transfers that happen and they just stick with you and they are they're just dramatic moments. And a lot of them happen at times, and you remember where you were when you heard that breaking news. Especially a few years, but like now, because you get so much build up on Twitter, it's slightly different, I think. But you still get some that, that catch you out of the blue. And yeah. when you do, it's madness. Um and I just think like the January window, maybe less or so, but the summer window is a part of football that is so important, it's so exciting. It's basically a soap opera for three months. I just think it's a brilliant part of the game, and um you know, I think it's better than the days when a transfer it's crazy to think that this could happen now, but you used to be able to sign anybody at any point pretty much. like I think it was a cut off towards the, right towards the end of the season, but like the whole season was yours, and it wouldn't be as much fun, I don't think. so
0: well yeah. it's, it's it's a strange one, isn't it, because sometimes we talk about the January transfer window and kind of everything happens either in the first week or the last week. yeah, it's almost like make it a week. Yeah. Transfer <laughs> Just, week. That would be mad. Yeah. That would be great. It would be pure chaos. I mean, it's interesting what you say there. One of the one of the ones that stands out for me, I think, obviously, um, slightly different in terms of our ways that we came up through football, but one of the first ones I worked properly was Neymar's PSG. Um, when I was at Bleachport on the social. Media. And I remember sitting there with a couple of other people and thinking, this isn't going to happen, is it? And then someone reported that PSG were willing to play the the release clause. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. But Neymar's obviously just going to say no. <laughs> and then the next thing broke. It was like, Neymar is willing to leave. And you're like, oh, God, we've got to go. We've got to go, go, go. And it was, it was exciting because obviously at that point it was all about graphics and building out the content for when that thing happened and, you know, that kind of mad scramble to be ready for when news broke and make mm. sure that you were kind of first to it. You you had the best graphics, you had the things that were going to be different. Yep. It was amazing. I think that's the first one that I remember being like, this is chaos. This is pure. And we were there just absolutely scrambling all day, like yep. bringing in graphic designers left, right and center to try and build stuff, uh, making sure the whole like plan was in place. It was so exciting. The adrenaline goes and you're like, Oh, this is amazing. It's just an incredible incredible thing to be a part of, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an incredible thing to watch and it's an incredible thing to look at. Um, but to, to be a part of that, I think was very special to me. And that was the first one I remember really being like, this is amazing. This is something brand new for me. Yeah. And, it's a
1: cool buzz, isn't it? When you're um, in, in that moment and you're right, there is adrenaline attached to working in it. Of course there is. Um, uh, but it is good as well when there's, there's a room you think, oh, there's not going to be anything in that And then you find out there is, and you're like, no, what? Like, you know, when we did the podcast on on Messi, like potentially leaving Barcelona, I know it was a year before it actually happened, but, you know, that that whole feeling around that week was crazy because like, none of us had ever contemplated that Messi would ever leave Barcelona. And he did.
0: And if if he did, it was to go back to Newell's, right? That was was the whole point we always thought. It was like, oh, he'll go back to Newell's old boys maybe and that will be the the Mm. closing of it. But instead it was this whole thing that occurred and look how it's panned out. And all of these things, it's also like, obviously you look back at transfers through the prism of how they play out, right? You don't just look at them because of you know, how they work at the time. You look back and you think, oh, it's interesting when transfers work, when they don't work, when, you know, when you're looking at something and thinking, I thought that was going to be amazing and it didn't work out. Or I thought that one was going to flop and it was, you know, it turned out to be a massive success. Sam and yeah. I talk about this, about Ruben Diaz all the time. We weren't convinced at all that I mean, Ruben Diaz was a fit for for what Pep wanted to do. And look how he's transformed Manchester City um, in, in a defensive sense. So, yeah, I, I think that that's part of it, isn't it? It's, it's working out whether you think something's going to be a success or not. It's trying to see, you know, especially when someone signs someone young um, and you're like, oh, is this going to develop into something special or is this going to be, you know, something that we look back in a couple of years and we'll be like, ooh, not one not one yeah. to recall that one. So, yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much attached to, to transfers. that It makes it such an exciting time of the year.
1: Definitely. Right, enough of transfers because i give you enough about all that anyway. But um, at number three one of the things that really gets you buzzing in football are stadiums football stadiums give you a buzz that is well it's that it's a sense of awe when you see a stadium for the first time with your own eyes when you step think how you felt think of your favorite stadium in the world think of how it feels you're going through the concourse you take those steps and as it opens up like there it is the pitch the seats like it is just i don't know it's it's almost like a special wonder of the world like because when you love something as much as you love football and you have that attachment and you're stepping into this theatre mate like you can get goosebumps just thinking about your favourite stadiums like it doesn't matter even on the size of the stadium it doesn't matter um, how new to be honest the stadiums are because they're so special these days obviously you've got the the older famous ones, you know, whether it's Anfield, Old Trafford, Camp New, Bernabeu, you know, San Siro, they all have a special feel, the Americana, um, Azteca, wherever whatever you want to look at it, whichever part in the world you live, there'll be a special stadium that's been there for a ridiculous amount of time, you know, it might be starting to fall apart, but that doesn't matter because to you, it's everything and it's kind of your second home. But you can now go to, you know, I've been to small stadiums Fulham's a you know, small stadium really I guess but I've seen it grow through the years and that gives you an attachment like if you're going somewhere as regular as you go to the team that you follow then obviously it's going to have a special place in your heart but I could even go to you know almost any club in England, probably barring like Luton Town and get a special feeling. <laughs> There's not many clubs that you hey, go to.
0: Kenilworth Road has got its own special charm. Well, it has. And that's
1: <laughs> that, and that's what I was actually going to say. Like I would say one of the worst, my worst stadiums is, is Kenilworth Road, Luton Town. But when you're actually there... You have to go in through houses. Is It's, it's, it's genuinely, is remarkable. Isn't it? Like it, it really is. It's, it's literally this tiny stadium in the middle of an just a normal housing estate, basically houses literally attached to the stadium. And then when you're in there, it's not a nice atmosphere, I wouldn't say, but it's unique. And the people there care so much about Luton. They pretty much hate every other team that comes in there and hate the fans that are there. And because it's so small, it's aggressive, it's noisy, but you feel you leave that place knowing that you've been part of something. And I think that that's what stadiums bring, right? They're, it's the setting for something very special that could potentially unfold in front of your eyes. And we all dream of traveling around the world and going to these places so that we can be part of that story and be part of that history. And, yeah, I think I just love now that we're getting, you know, obviously a new era of stadiums. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's, if it's in England and you're seeing like the Etihad or, or Tottenham Hotspur's new stadium has obviously kind of raised the bar in that sense. You go to, you know... Death Star.
0: Yeah. The Death has just been dropped in the middle of Tottenham. It looks, <laughs> it, it looks incredibly out of place. It
1: does look out of place, but when you're in there, mate, oh, isn't it's it unreal? Amazing. It, it's, amazing. It, it is amazing. And because they've
0: kept the atmosphere as well. Um, I, I just touch on a couple of bits, and I think you're right. Like There is something about, you know, I get the same feeling having gone to Fulham you know, probably... <laughs> A thousand times now, <laughs> no, I'm, you know, season ticket forever, right? Yeah. You still get that feeling. You walk out and you see the pitch, but then also you can travel. and I remember going out the first time at the Artemio Franchi and seeing Fiorentina's ground expo- like explode into life around me the first time, and being like, "This is different. This is and 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 that kind of cultural." change when you go across different places you're going to see the stadiums in spain and in, in italy and in, in england they're all mm-hmm. very different and they have different feels about them and obviously you'd get that within a country as well but there is that kind of cultural shift but one of our best best nights ever Dean, we went up and we saw sc united of manchester play oh, yeah, yeah um in their little stadium that they built themselves they built their own ground they sing about it yep. um and it's an amazing place Like really really cool um wandering around on the terraces. You can have a beer on the terrace. They have this amazing host of songs that that, that they've written. It's obviously a breakaway club from United. And there's all this kind of, um, wow, there's all this history around that as well, but it was a tiny little stadium and there wasn't, you know, thousands on thousands and thousands of people there. There was maybe a two, 3000 max. Um, And it, was amazing we had an amazing night i don't think they won i think i think it was i think it was a draw in the end it was, wasn't yeah. it. Um, i don't remember it, the
1: the score at all but i i remember the experience like the experience very clearly it stuck with me yeah
0: and we were talking about this the other day and you and i and sam were having a discussion about it, that when we went to see well we went to see chicago fire at the seat geek right back before they moved back to soldier field and it was a strange experience, but a really, really good one, I thought. I really enjoyed myself. And Sam was saying that he was like, I, I, I didn't like the travel out there. All of that. But I thought it was a really cool experience. I thought it was really different, something yep. that we you know, we got to, to experience. Obviously, we'd seen a couple of days beforehand Fiorentina play against Guadalajara there. Yep. Um, and that was pretty cool as well. It was yep. different, but very, very cool. Uh, we actually, 2019 in the summer, saw... Dusan Vlávic explode into life. Um, And that was the beginning of our obsession um, with our second favorite Serb. But it was, um, it's just a really interesting experience. And, you know, it's interesting how different people have different experiences at places. You and I love that. Sam didn't like it so much. That's cool. Like there is a... yeah. You know, it's an individual experience, but it's just those smaller, maybe more knee stadiums as well. You know, yes, I remember I remember having this thing about going to Anfield, right? I, I don't know what it was, but Anfield was always the one for me that stuck out as the one I wanted to go to. I really, really desperate to go to Anfield. Um, and when I eventually got there, it was Fulham playing Liverpool on a Sunday at midday. Mm-hmm. And it was not empty, it was full, but it wasn't it was flat. everyone was obviously flat. It was it was a game that meant almost nothing to anyone yeah. because you know Fulham were pretty much relegated and it was, you know, it just didn't liven up. I've been to Anfield since and it was absolutely amazing. Um and and so there's yeah. that kind of different experience. When I went to Old Trafford with Fulham the first time, it was really raucous. I went back just before Christmas and it was a bit flat. Um, and you know, it's different experiences, different people hitting different people on the highs and lows and the atmosphere and the opposition and all of that are are taken into account, but it's just interesting how different things change and how they have a a special place in your, in your heart and, and what you're kind of looking for. Um, but yeah, I think this is a a really cool one. And also it's something that obviously everyone can, can relate to in terms of wherever you are in the world, no matter if, you know, you support Chelsea and you live in South America, um, you know, there are also going to be stadiums around you. There will be local stadiums and, and mm. things that you can get to. And I think that's an amazing experience. I love going down to Hamwell Town. There yeah. is one stand and then the rest of it is just a metal bar around here, it, but it's an amazing experience. And, yeah. you know, those kind of things are special.
1: That's it, exactly that. So whichever stadium you ever get the opportunity to go to, don't judge it by what you think it'll be like. Go and give it a try because it, it will surprise you. Every stadium is special in, in its own way. Um At number two, the thing that, I love about football are friendships and rivalries that are created and they live, they stick with you throughout your life. Um, I find this incredible to be honest, that the line between love and hate can be so vast based literally on which team you've decided to support. Um, So, you know, I'm not going to say I haven't got friends that support other teams. Of course I have, but the friendships that you make throughout your life are going to be different and you're going to go through different experiences with people that are going through the same emotions that you are at the same times and that's something that you can experience um whether or not you go to games it's obviously easier to get if you are able to go to matches like lucky for me like i've spent most of my life supporting fulham and you know through my younger days going you know home and away and you know it's obviously a go to less games now but still those same friendships stick through the years and it might be that I I used to see people all the time on the trains and um, on the coaches I used to travel to and you don't see them as much anymore but you do still see their face crop up and when you do there's this bond that is just like from another world it's almost like seeing your old best friend from school that you haven't seen for like 15 20 years or whatever and and you bump into them and there's in, immediately moments that you share that nobody else can ever understand and and that's what comes through football um, and it can come on an international theme as well. I think that that's one thing that's helped me because all my friends that I grew up with all support different teams. We've relied on England having special moments and big tournaments where we've been able to bond. And you know, this summer, we're obviously able to go together. But it's, it's the other side of it that, that really amazes me the most. It's how... I'm a placid person, right? I'm a, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I, I don't go around hating people, don't really judge that many people. Unless you support one of the teams that I hate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's so weird. It's so weird. And I can't explain it to people that aren't living in this football bubble, really. Um, Taylor, through the years, I've tried to explain to her why it is that I'm in a bad mood because this happened at QPR, or this happened at Chelsea, or, or whatever else it is. But there's obviously the Fulham rivalry for me, but you see it throughout football and, and rivalries are absolutely insane. So we we could all rattle off, you know, the, the biggest derbies in the world and the biggest rivalries, whether it's, you know, a Clasico, uh, whether it's um, Inter VAC Milan, whether it's Man United Liverpool, whether it's Man United Man City, whether it's the um, Clasica, whether it's El Trafico, whether it's... I don't know. Whatever it is, <laughs> you're two local teams from where you live going at each other. Maybe it's two states that you know that, that hate each other. Um, there's just a feeling. Think of the old firm derby. Like I've never been to an old firm derby between Celtic and Rangers, but I've got an understanding of how much those two clubs hate each other. And I know that it goes deeper, but um, that's what also makes this so complex because for some people, yeah, there is that that deep feeling and, and religion or national identity to, can come into it for sure. For some people, there's nothing. There's just this feeling that you've been brought up to know that Crystal Palace do not like Brighton. We will go down there and we will swear at them and we will shout hate at their players if they get close to us. And we will hope beyond hope that we do not lose this game because this matters more than anything. And
0: we don't abuse players.
1: (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like that is, that is what you're, if you go to football, you're kind of brought up like that and you, you shout at people and you don't really know why. And you don't know where that feeling is coming from because in any other walk of your life, you won't experience those deep emotions that are kind of ingrained in you and they, build through the years of you watching football that make you love your team so, so much, love certain players so, so much. But on the other side, actually hate some people that you really, you don't actually hate them. You hate kind of what they've stood for throughout your football in in life. Or in the the moment, In the moment, yeah.
0: I think this is an interesting one. Like my two best friends growing up, both Chelsea fans. And I used to dread it. I used to dread the idea that, you know, we, we after a game, if they'd beaten us and and, and inevitably they beat us every time. Yeah. Um and it was just waiting for that text to come through. You know, it was like at some point I'm gonna get to that and I remember having, you know, Fulham drew two all with Chelsea at the cottage at one minute and Clint Dempsey missed a penalty in the 90th minute to win it. Mm. And um I remember the next day having a discussion and, and that's why saying this. I'm sure we were talking about it the other day. Um, we were in the, we were in school the next day and we basically, I was like, yeah, but we should have won. We were the better team. And he was like, yeah, but yeah, but you're rubbish. And I'm like, yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I know that I'm aware that like, we are not as big a team as you are, yeah. but, we should have won last night and it just went on and on. And we like ended up like pretty like aggressive at each other. And it was like one of those where you'd be, like, well, like, let's have a couple of days off. Shall we let's not talk for a couple of days. Right. Um, but it really does. And, and look, it runs through my family as well. You know, my, my dad and all of his brothers are all Fulham, but his sister decided she was going to be Brentford. Um, and then she married a QPR man. And so, you know, one Christmas is fun. Um, but two, you know, it, it does take away that. And, you know, when Fulham got to that playoff final against Brentford, there was that, you know, I, I saw her beforehand and I was like, I'm not going to see you afterwards. So I can come to see you beforehand, we can go for a drink and then afterwards, and then we're going to go our separate ways and watch this game because there's absolutely no chance on earth. I'm watching this with yep. uh, you, and, and that's what it is, right? You know, we're best mates, but ultimately, it's like that for those ninety minutes, it is is I'd rather anyone else in the world was happy for you, and that is ultimately what it comes down to. And and that's what you know, football is a it's about rivalry and it's about you know, obviously, don't ever let that spill over into your personal lives. I, I think that's a probably <laughs> no, quite exactly, an important yeah. thing to do, like to be able to say, you know, for those ninety minutes, we are you know sworn enemies, and then at the end of it, you can have a laugh and you shake hands and, and and such is is the way of the world but there is always going to be that element of oh i'd love to be i just want that one up i want that game over you to just be able to hold that over a little while the bragging rights all of it and that's what's amazing
1: it really is yeah and i hope you know everyone that's listening to this it can like understand this feeling at- to whatever degree it is, because it obviously is different depending on what your situation is and how you've grown up with football. You're still growing up with football. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are new to the game relatively, especially compared to uh, people that are born into it and you're watching it from the second you can possibly go to a game. Um, Not everybody has that opportunity. Not everybody was, you know, if you were in a country, if you were in... America, maybe Australia, wherever else. And the game wasn't as big there when you were growing up or you didn't have the same opportunities to watch it. And now you're getting it. Now you love the game. You're going to experience all these things and um, embrace it. Um, Know where to draw the line, but ultimately know that you're, you're experiencing something that is part of the game. And yeah, for me, friendships and rivalries created through football are just one of the undeniable like, happy factors that come with this beautiful game. So that's where I am at number two. And number one, I mean, it seems kind of obvious. I mean, the thing that makes you happiest in football, the thing that brings the most joy, the thing that brings a moment of absolute pure exhilaration that can never be overturned, is that of a last-minute winner. A last-minute winning goal and celebrating that moment is absolutely unbeatable. If you're scoring that goal on a pitch, your mates are jumping on you, you're bundled in the corner, you're screaming, you're feeling that moment yourself and you've hit that ball and you've seen it hit the net, you know what that feels like. Or you're behind the goal you're praying you're hoping you're dreaming of your team turning around this game is it's equal you just want that win to win for whatever it stands for maybe it's just a, a run of the mill league game maybe it's a, a big cup game maybe you're trying to win the league the ball comes across and one of your players hits the back of the net and you are just blown into this moment of euphoria when look typically you If you're in a ground, you might stumble and fall over chairs and land on a a lump of concrete on the floor and still be screaming and happy and thinking, How have I got here? Three hours ago, I was in a meeting with my manager talking about the agenda that we're setting for this new job we're going for. I was dropping my kids off at school. I was stuck in this school project, bored out of my mind. And now I'm here in this moment feeling ultimate joy created by a 20 odd year old man kicking a ball into a net. I can't explain it any better than. It's just, I don't know, mate. Tonight, Fulham are playing Birmingham. We've just scored 13 goals in our last two games, right? If Fulham win 1-0 tonight and it's the last minute winner, I'll be every bit as happy, maybe even more so, than to see Fulham score seven in a game because it's a different way of winning as well. It shows a different mentality and you can dress it up different and it gives a different sort of belief about where that moment is leading you.
0: It's not that so much. It's the, it's the kind of exhale, isn't it? It's the, if you're pushing and pushing and pushing, if you <laughs> score and you win 7-0, you know, the kind of trick is that it gets better. again. You know, you're like, we're here with 3-0 up, we're here. It's like, you're, you're it's an extended joy. And obviously there is that seeing your team absolutely batter someone is unbelievable. Yeah. But there's not that long period of frustration that's released. Yep because yep. you know you know, it's just joy on joy on joy and I appreciate that but it does mean that there's not that so much of a one moment that you are completely and utterly blown away by I remember there was a couple and a couple of away games that we went to Preston where Mitrovic bundled one home in the in the last minute I remember and Preston at, at Deepdale one at the away end is so steep it is absolutely unbelievably steep and I was there with Lucy and her dad and Mitrovic scored and I just chucked myself down a couple of rows I was like ooh <laughs> I, think, I think I might have scared her dad. Um, but oh. it, it was one of those moments. And then, you know, you look at that and, and separately, and um, remember at Barnsley uh, after frustration on frustration, they had 10 men. It was 10 men behind the ball and it was knock on the door, knock on the door, knock on the door. And eventually the ball went in via Kevin McDonald sort of on the, on the goal line, lying on the floor, sort of accidentally getting his knee to the ball and it bouncing into the top of the net and everyone going absolutely ballistic. Um, and, yeah it just felt like those moments where you do get that release of the pressure that's built up and up and up and up. Um, And and that's amazing. I I have scored one, you're right. That's the moment. I remember playing the Derby game at UNL for our college, you know, um, B's against C's. And it was that moment where we were one nil down. All of the old boys were up as well. It was my fourth year. um, And, you yeah, we got the corner I hadn't scored for ages and it came off a corner and I just saw it and I just chucked myself at it and it hit, I, I, I hit it with a diving header, went in. <laughs> Everyone went mad, like proper bundle. Even all the, all the old boys came off the like bundle in the yeah. corner. It was absolutely amazing. Now that's, sh- that shock of relief. Like, just incredible right like one of those really really special moments do you get that you know it's hard to explain but it,
1: it that- is hard to explain yeah and you're and you're right i mean i know we're turning this into a bit of a Fulham podcast but i guess that's fitting in the in the week that sam's not here we could we can uh, take our own agendas but it's also the only our experience is mainly going to fulham for all of these things and you know whoever was doing this podcast would would be drawing on their own experiences and talking about the team that they've seen the most but for me you know um so going back to two thousand and one, um, Fulham were were promoted to the to the uh, Premier League, right? And it's I was at an paid. age when. Um, I'd started to go on my own so I was still in school but like I was going to games on my own but Fulham played Blackburn on a Wednesday night and it was in April and my mum basically just didn't let me go and I, and I was gutted about it and I remember going around my mate's house only a few of us that supported Fulham and he had at the time like not that many people even had Sky to be honest he couldn't even watch it in that many places but he had Sky and he was like come round anyway Fulham Fulham one two, one Sean Davis scored in the 90th minute and I just remember going absolutely mental like it was the moment when we basically we were going up uh, we knew like Blackburn were big rivals and it was such a big moment in Fulham's history in the season and then the next game we had Huddersfield away it was on a Saturday and I was allowed to go to that obviously because it was a Saturday and we went up to Huddersfield and boa Morte scored the winner five minutes from time and I remember being behind the go and, and that was the game we basically sealed that we were going up and then I think, I think we were made champions in this game, if I was right. But certainly it was You're a right, significant yeah. game. The next one against Sheffield Wednesday at home. Um, I remember being behind the goal and Fulham were 1-0 down. And was, this was supposed to be a party. It was supposed to be the game where we properly celebrate that Fulham are going back to the Premier League and we're going to be champions and all the rest of it. We're 1-0 down to Sheffield Wednesday. It had been a really frustrating game. back at the back of the Hammersmith end that it was standing in those days too and just waiting and waiting and in the 90th minute Sean Davis scored and honestly my, my feet didn't touch the ground like you were just lifted and you were moving all across the place and people like they were throwing each other into the air like it was just wave after wave of like movement and like it was unbelievable like and that that's like one of my early memories, obviously, and one of the reasons I'm glad that standing's coming back in football, because you you can enjoy it more. I know you won't be the same as it was back then. You wouldn't get that movement because it has to be safer now and that's that's right. But um yeah, the the pure joy that came through that and I've never you know, I've never forgotten. That was two thousand and one and I'm I'm still remembering here, twenty years on, what that was like, and I'm hoping that I get that same feeling tonight going to go to Berlin, even though I was a kid back then and stuff. So um, yeah, man, it it's um it's just unbelievable. It's unbeatable. Last minute, last minute. I mean, goals themselves are pretty hard to beat, but last minute winners are just unbeatable.
0: There is yeah, very, very few things like a last minute winner. I completely agree. <laughs> the other thing that maybe should be on this list that kind of, well, kind of fits into this category yeah. is last minute sealers. So yeah, if you're one yeah, year yeah. Up and you're getting battered and you hit them for a second on the break. That is that's, uh, true. That's yeah. right that is up there as well. Feeling, same, yeah. same kind of vibe. When you, that is you, a very similar you vibe. Yeah, you know you've
1: done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Very
0: yeah. special. Very, very special. Um, right then. Well, congratulations. That was a lovely ranking. Yeah, it was really a bit different, that. wasn't it? It was a bit different
1: yeah. from my normal stuff, but um, yeah, a bit more emotion and a bit more generic. Personal this week. A bit more, yeah, I think, but every now and then I think we can di- take these deep dives and just remind everybody and ourselves, like, why we love this game, why we won a next week here Sam talk about the best number sixes because it changes so much and we you learn different you know aspects of the game that you do learn to love but don't ever forget like the reason you actually go to the games the reason you actually watch the games
0: yeah, I mean, I think this is it, right? It's, there's a lot of negativity around football. And, and, and in many cases, rightly so, there are you know, things that are wrong and need to change. There are plenty of things with football that could do it better. But often we forget, I think, the pure kind of reasons we fell in love with it in the first place. And mm-hmm. it's often nice to uh, just remind, remind yourselves of, of them absolutely.' Uh, when, well, i had a good time, if nothing else, man. Well, exactly. we enjoyed ourselves. <laughs> and that's the main thing. Right After the break, we've got melon of the week. And of course, the gibberish rankings don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the
1: Week. This week's Melon of the Week is referee Jani Sikazwe. Now... Um, you might not have known this bloke's name. I didn't, to be honest, until I've, I've Googled it in prep for this, because that's not why you would have heard of him. You'd have heard of him as the referee who blew up early for Mali's clash with Tunisia at the African Cup of Nations. Um, he blew for full-time after 85 minutes. Uh, the game restarted, and he rejected a VAR red card review, and then he ended the game again 20 seconds before it got to 90 minutes. Um He had an absolute mare from start to finish. He'd he'd already given two penalties in the game as well that were controversial, to say the least. Um, He needed security to protect him into the game. Um, I'm not sure really what he was doing, mate, but uh, as melons come, just desperate to get the game done so you can go home, seems right up there.
0: Yeah, it was bad, wasn't it? It, it wasn't enjoyable. I, I think the key was right, he gave away. he gave two penalties. They were both relatively controversial. Um, but they kind of balance each other out. So mm. I wasn't too mad about that. Um Marley scored their penalty, Tunisia missed theirs. Um and then on the 85th minute he blows up and everyone goes around him, they're like, What are you doing? And he's like, Oh yeah, sorry, my bad. Like <laughs> oh my and then God. there's a red <laughs> he carries on. Then <laughs> there's a red card. Then there's a red card. And but for all of these things, there's been serious VAR checks. And then he blows the game up at about 89-47. Yeah. About 13 seconds left on it. I reckon there should have been at least six minutes of injury time. <laughs> there were six subs. Yep. There was two long-term VAR decisions and yep. a red card. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure this was at least a 6 minuter Then what happens is. You know, all the players go off the pitch. Everyone's going mad, rightly so. Everyone's going absolutely mad. The Tunisian bench in particular, obviously they're 1-0 down. They're trying to force an equaliser and they were probably the favourites in Group F. And, you know, suddenly they're bottom of the table after after one game. Obviously they've bounced back since then. But you're looking at it and going, okay. eventually, about 40 minutes after all this happens, The Marley manager is in a press conference when he's informed that the players have got to go back out to finish the game. The referee Mm -hmm. is not taking charge. The fourth official is going to step up and be the referee for the last, I think they've given three minutes of injury time to play the Tunisia manager is asked to do this. And he says, absolutely no chance. My players are already in the ice baths; so They're not going out. Tunisia is asking for the game to re- be replayed. There's not enough time for that. We're in the middle of a tournament. Um, but then, <laughs> so obviously the Mali players stand around for three minutes. They don't do anything. And then they the blows the whistle and off they all go again. It just was pure chaos. And look, in a tournament where we've seen so much brilliant stuff, um, it really did, I think, let the whole thing down. And I think that's the saddest bit around it. Mm. Um, my favorite moment that was quite melonish from the other game in mm. this group was that Mauritania's national anthem was played incorrectly twice. <laughs> um, and then after that, they were asked to sing their national anthem a cappella. <laughs> <'Cause they laughs> You'd have love the music. You would love that. Yeah, I mean, I'd be there. You'd be that the only was. voice anyone could hear. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Building oh, yeah. the Irish National Anthem out at full full. I would belt. have liked
1: to have heard that with the England team because uh, I'd like to hear those singing voices and, and actually how many of them are going to put in the effort. Because you see, you know, a lot of nations around there are pro- properly put their heart and soul into their national anthem. And uh, like they give it everything because they're very proud and... There are some teams like England that don't seem so proud, and they yeah. like mumble the words, or sometimes even just mouth them. It's
0: um, a rubbish national anthem. Like it's just not good, is it? It's like I'll move it's on to your No, no, no. But like legit, like you could have Jerusalem as the as the English national anthem, and everyone would like that a bit. We've got more, a
1: great national anthem. That. It's just that the players don't like singing it. Mm,
0: I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Um, but okay. It's the gibberish siren, and without Sam here, I'm going to take over. To yourself, today yourself, yeah. We're doing a worse national... No, jacket. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about my three favorite Greek gods.
1: Um, oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Um,
0: wow. Three, Where's I'm this gonna, come from? Why have you decided on this? Well, I was thinking about it the other day, because well, actually because of this. And three is Hermes, right? Now, Hermes used to be two in this list. He used to be too. I've think about quite a lot. Um, (laughs) Hermes is the herald of the gods in Greek mythology. Um, He is the the person who moves souls between the mortal world and the afterlife. Uh, he conducts souls through he's a he's a bit of a trickster that's one of the things he is and he's kind of the messenger of the gods he has winged sandals he flies um, which is great he's a he's a good god it's fun he enjoys himself he's a bit he's a bit jokes um everyone, everyone's having a nice time he used to be higher up in this list until Hermes the delivery service refused to deliver any of my parcels over Christmas. <laughs> and it really upset me. And therefore Hermes was moved down the list of my favorite gods because the delivery service is so bad that they are affecting his good name. Now, I had six parcels that Hermes failed to deliver between December the 1st and January the 6th, including <laughs> including all my Christmas decorations, which are meant to come uh, maybe delivered, so we had to uh, sort them out. Uh, my Christmas tree... Presents for Lucy's (laughs) mum and Nan, my suit for Sam's wedding, (laughs) and a jacket for New Year's Eve. It it
1: was everything. That is everything you needed
0: basically yeah it, it was an absolute travesty and for that reason we've had to move hermes down the list um so he's he's fallen to three sadly despite the fact that i really like him as a god character um i'm a big fan <laughs> i really like his i really like his winged sandals i really like his cool cloak i like the fact that he's a bit of a, a trickster there's a really brilliant um one of the kind of old Greek poems called the Homeric Hymn to Hermes, um, which is basically about him just doing fun stuff and like stealing from people and, uh, and then sacrificing those to the gods. It's quite a, quite a good line. So, um, so yeah, yeah, sorry, Hermes, you've, uh, you've dropped down, um, which has led uh, an upgrade for number two god, Dionysus. Dionysus is a a cool good. In Roman mythology, he's known as Bacchus. um, And also that comes, well, that basically feeds the term Bacchanalian, which basically means like a chaos of ecstasy. Um, Dionysus, I will read you out his his, his official titles. He's the god of the grape harvest, winemaking, orchards, fertility, insanity, madness, ecstasy, festivity, and theatre, um, which basically means he's the god of everyone going nuts. Um, and so <laughs> festivals to Dionysus or Dionysian festivals are often basically kind of carnal celebrations in the streets of just like madness, drinking, sex. Um, It's just basically chaos. Um, He is is the Greek god of fun chaos, Um, and therefore he had to be pretty high up here. I like the term Dionysian which is um, if something's going to absolutely lost the plot. And there's a lot of parties I know in Berlin, which are known as Dionysian parties. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so all of those things. Nice. So, yeah, uh, Dionysus comes in at number two. Um, I, I like him a lot. And uh, in there's a, there's a kind of similar character in, in some of the game series that, that some people will play. and um, The Elder Scrolls are a game series that I've been known to, to well... Implement, frequent sometimes. Uh, there's a god called Sanguine who basically is the same thing. Um, right. He is just like this kind of mad fun party god who just enjoys winding people up. Um, <laughs> and, and so I quite enjoy enjoy yeah. that kind of usefulness he's had on on the way. Um, and then at number one, my favorite my favorite Greek god is Apollo. Now you'll probably work out why once I read you out his set of gods. He is. The god of archery, music, dance, truth, prophecy, the sun, light, and poetry. Um <laughs> there you uh, go. And there you go. His symbol is is the lyre. Uh, and the laurel wreath, which I also like because laurel wreaths are also the symbol of Fred Perry. Um oh, which is yes. clothing brand. So, you know, we're doubling down here. Um I actually wear a, a pendant of Apollo around my neck um at all times. Alongside, oh, I know what that is. Yeah, it's a pendant of Apollo to, to mm. remind me of my poetic origins. Okay. Um and one of my favorite bands growing up were called Apollo Sunshine. So all of the above just wrapped into one. Um, uh, Apollo, great guy. Um, loves loves a little bit of archery. Um, me too. Any <laughs> really good at that. No, not really, but I like the idea, <laughs> like the concept, like Legolas in Lord of the Rings, didn't yeah. I? So, so that's probably feeds into it. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. So Apollo, probably my favourite Greek god. Nice, um, I like that a lot. Yeah, I don't think anyone else, I, I think it'd be unfair to go with anyone else when I'm wearing a pendant of him around my neck. Yeah, it seems fitting, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. There he is, Apollo, top of the list. Very good. There's my very, very quickly rattled up. Well, people um, have learned a lot about us today, haven't they? Well, there's a very quick gibberish rankings there that I realized as we started this segment that we didn't have one because I wasn't here. Yeah, Sam's not here. And we had to to bring it up quickly, but it's one that's been a little bit kind of in the back of my head for a little while. So uh, I apologize for it being short and sweet, but there you go. My favorite three Greek gods. Brilliant. Um, excellent. Uh, and with that, I think it's probably time to call this a day and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much for Dean Jones for taking on the bulk of that today, taking on the mantle of of, of both Rank God and Transfer Guru. Uh, very, very special. A uh, good shift from you, mate. You've what earned, an emotional journey.
1: Today. What a journey we've been on eh?
0: over the last hour or so. Brilliant stuff. Love to Jack Collins, <laughs> thank you so much for listening as ever. We hope you've enjoyed our Tales and Tribulations. Uh, we hope it wasn't too Fulham heavy, but alas, uh, <laughs> we're all was. speaking from personal experience here, and we hope that you've enjoyed yourself and found some more reasons to love everything about this game that we all so adore. We will be back next week when we might eventually hit these uh, defensive midfielders or we might be back talking transfer bits as as the window starts to draw towards its end. Who knows, we will adapt as necessary as usual but thank you ever so much for listening and we will see you next week. Take it easy. Peace.